Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. This is a sermon series we've been doing for the last uh, three weeks. This is week four. If we didn't get the chance to meet, my name is Caleb. I'm the pastor here at our congregation, and uh, I've just been really blessed to study for this series and to preach it with you, and from what I'm hearing from a lot of you, this has been a really beneficial thing for evaluating our lives in the modern world. To say, what does our culture just intuitively teach us about what we are supposed to value, and how does God's word stand against that and actually free us to live a life of peace and joy in the modern hurried world? What I'm really trying to do with this series, and maybe it's time for me to pull back the curtain a little bit, is just to get us to consider that getting deeper into the things of God actually is better for our life than not doing that. Uh, We don't believe this by nature. We have this fear of missing out thing where we think that if we would get deeper into the things of God, if we would spend more time in our scriptures, in our devotional life, in prayer, in worship, in Christian community, in serving our neighbor, that somehow we would miss out on something. I don't know what it is, but you may have whatever fills in the blank there for you. We believe that by nature. What I'm trying to help us see from the scriptures is that actually the opposite is true, that the deeper we would get into the things of God, the more peace and joy and love we would find. So we started this series by setting the foundation on the gospel, that we know that because Christ has risen, we also will rise, and therefore our lives really truly have no end. We are immortal right now. We are simply going to pass from this life to the next life, and therefore there's nothing to rush for. There's no deadline. There's no drop-dead date, so to speak. What are we hurried for? Jesus then invited us into this rest by saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Do the things I do, say the things I say, care about the things I care about, and you will find rest for your souls. And so last week, this week, and next week, we're going to examine some of these things that we called spiritual disciplines. We explained what that meant last week. These practices that Jesus had that also give us blessing in our life. And the topic today is Sabbath. Um, And in my opinion, this is uh, the money chapter of this book. Uh, We're basing this series on The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Uh, And John Mark Comer would say the same thing in the book. He would say this is the chapter he was most excited to write, and I would agree that it has the most benefit. If you pick up this book, just read this chapter, if that's all the time you have, Um, because I think this just is life-giving in the message that we're going to hear today. So I'm, I'm excited to share that with you. The text we're looking at comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Um, I'll read it for us. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest, as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This is God's word. We're going to do three things today. We're going to talk about why we need Sabbath, then what is Sabbath, and finally how to practice Sabbath. Um, If you did not grab a notes sheet, uh, there should be some on the back uh, stand there, and this would be the time to take those out. You can see your notes uh, on the sheet there in the three parts. If you're joining us online, you can find those notes in the description of the YouTube video or on our online worship portal. So first, why do we need Sabbath? Thomas Aquinas, who is 
in the top five probably non-biblical theologians of Christian history, like everybody loves Aquinas, um, he tried to examine this question. He said, what would truly satisfy us apart from God? What would truly, truly satisfy the human being apart from God? And this was his answer, everything all of the time. His logic was that because God is infinite and God created human beings to be in relationship with him, we are hardwired to desire the infinite. We are hardwired to desire the transcendent. And so Aquinas' conclusion was that, therefore, the only thing that could possibly satisfy us apart from God is everything all of the time. Every experience, every relationship, every bit of food and drink, every travel, every consumer good, everything we possibly could have all of the time. I think this is, by the way, why the internet is so attractive to us as an addictive substance. Because it offers, as one comedian said it, a little bit of everything all of the time. And we believe that if we would just scroll a little bit, if we would just go to the next post, if we'd read this article, if we watch this video, then somehow we would get in touch with the transcendence or in infinity that we've always wanted. But we never find it, right? We're, we're still restless and worried and weary and overwhelmed and burdened and, and all these things because... We try to find the infinite in the finite. It doesn't help that the world that we live in is constantly telling us that we need a little bit more anyways, right? We live in a culture where, I'm not exaggerating this number, you see thousands of ads every single day. And every one of those ads is saying, if you just would buy this or do this or say this or be this, then you could be happy. You could be peaceful. And you add the double-edged sword that very often these advertisements are actually offering what seems like rest from all of this. Like, if you buy this, this is the last, I don't know, hammer you're going to have to ever buy. Or this is the last mattress you'll ever have to buy, right? You'll be able to rest like this beautiful couple sitting on their duvet with their family and breakfast in bed. You could rest like them. Just pay us $900. The world plays on this inner desire that we have for the infinite, but never satisfies us with it. We need rest. We need rest. Sabbath is just a Hebrew word, Shabbat, which means rest or stop. We need to be able to say, from this world that, we, that does not offer us the infinite, never satisfies our desires, that we just need to stop. That's enough. Or as one more modern theologian said it, you don't have to. Sabbath is the ability to say, I don't have to, to whatever the world says you need to have in order to be happy. You don't have to. And Sabbath is woven into the very fabric of our world. God gave us as the fix, if you will, to this desire for the infinite that we can never find in the finite world. If you go all the way back to the beginning, like the very beginning, where God created the world in six days, the Bible tells us that by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God wove into the fabric of, of the universe a need for a rest every week. Like, think about it. Why did God rest? Because he needed to? Well, absolutely not. But because he knew that we needed to. And he wanted to model for us what a life-giving practice the Sabbath could be. You can see this right in the text if we look back on it. The text tells us that by the seventh day, God rested from all his work. 
right? He rested from all his work because we need rest. To prove this to you, the last time that human beings really tried to go against God's plan in a a systematic way was the French Revolution. Uh, During the French Revolution, a 10-day work week was put into place in order to boost productivity. Of course, if you know the French Revolution, it was a disaster, right? The rise of the proletariat had led to an increase in suicides, a decrease in the uh, economy, and in productivity. It did the exact opposite of what it was intended to do. More work didn't lead to more productivity. In fact, it led to less productivity. And study after study has reinforced this. Did you know there's a number of hours you can work every week after which your productivity absolutely plummets? Study after study has attested to this exact same number. Do you know how many hours it is a week? 50. 50 hours a week. After 50 hours a week of work, your productivity plummets no matter what sector you're in. And those same studies will attest to no significant difference in productivity between somebody who works 55 hours a week and somebody who works 70 hours a week. So think about this. If I can be very clear with you, you're not a hero if you work more than 50 hours a week. And you're a fool if you work more than 55 because you're wasting your own time, your family's time, and probably your company's time who's paying you for that time. You know what's interesting about 50 hours per week? It's a six-day work week, right? It's about nine or so hours every day for six days of the week. It's almost like God wove it into the fabric of humanity, didn't he? (laughs) That we should work for six days, and on six days, on the seventh day, we should rest. The second thing that God says in here that I think is really interesting is it says that he blessed the seventh day. He blessed the seventh day. Um, Why I think that's really interesting is There's only two other things in the creation account that God blesses, specifically says he blesses these things. Those two other things besides the Sabbath day are animals and people. Animals and people. So what do animals, people, and the Sabbath day have in common? They have the ability to give life. Human beings and animals can procreate. They can create more life on their own by their own capacities. The Sabbath day can too. Just to prove this to you, there was a doctor who did a study of the happiest people in North America. Uh, These people are the Seventh-day Adventists. Maybe you've heard of them. Uh, They are a group, a pseudo-Christian sect that believes that you absolutely must practice the Sabbath day. Like, it's a necessary part of your Christianity. Unfortunately, the Bible attests to that being false. That's not true. And therefore, it obscures the gospel. And so the Seventh-day Adventists are not Christians by the definition that the Bible gives. But that's not the point here. The point is to say this is a really interesting group because they do this unique practice of Sabbathing every single week. What this doctor found is that the average Seventh-day Adventist lives 10 years longer than the average North American. 10 years longer. You know what's really interesting about that, that number, 10 years? If you live to be 70 years old and you Sabbathed every week of your life, how many days or years would you have Sabbathed? 10. One-seventh of your life. Which means at least statistically, if you Sabbath, God's actually giving you those days back in a longer life. Now, of course, Statistics are statistics. That's not true for everyone's life. And frankly, we don't need that to be the reason that we would Sabbath because God said Sabbath is good for you no matter what. But isn't it interesting that it's almost woven into the very fabric of humanity? To say it differently, either you're going to take Sabbath 
or God's going to take Sabbath from you. And if you think I'm making that up, like I'm just using some psychology or sociology to prove my point, actually God did this in the Bible. Do you remember the trajectory of the nation of Israel? They're enslaved in Egypt. They come out of Egypt because Moses leads them out by God's hand in the 10 plagues. They cross the Red Sea. They wander in the wilderness for a while, and then they go into the promised land. And when they enter the promised land, we actually get that text that I read from Deuteronomy. Moses saying to them, observe the Sabbath day, right? While you're in the promised land, make sure you keep observing the Sabbath day. Except they didn't. For 490 years, they did not observe the Sabbath day. And so God sent them into exile. He kicked them out of the promised land for guess how many years? What's one-seventh of 490? 70 years. Right? It says this right in Chronicles 36. It says, The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests all the time of its desolation. That's the exile time. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah. It's almost like God wove this into the very fabric of humanity. When God gave us the Ten Commandments, he made remember the Sabbath day one of those Ten Commandments, and in fact, he put it in spot number three before things like you shall not murder or you shall not commit adultery, which means at the very least, it's on the same level as those commands, if not maybe even more important. Or to say it differently, you can bring potentially more destruction into your life by not observing the Sabbath than you would by killing your neighbor or sleeping with his wife. Maybe I'll let Jesus put a bow on this part of the sermon. (laughs) Jesus said this when he was on earth, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, what he said is the Sabbath day is not a a practice to observe just because I told you to do it. It's a practice that actually gives life. I gave it to you as a gift. Here's a present. I'm putting it under your tree. Would you please open it and enjoy it? I made this for you. And yet how few of us actually want to enjoy it, right? Now, to be clear, we don't have to, right? That's the whole point. You don't have to. And the book of Colossians says this very clearly. In the New Testament, it says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you with regard to a Sabbath day. Right? Whether you practice the Sabbath or don't practice the Sabbath, that's not the point. You're saved not because of your ability to Sabbath, but because of what Jesus has done. You are free. You are a completed product in Jesus. But here's the question. If you don't have to, that's fine. But don't you kind of want to? I mean, if that's the case, if if that's the life-giving power of Sabbath, the ability of saying one day a week, I'm just not going to do any work, don't you kind of want to? I I know that I do. And so that's why I think the text that we have from Deuteronomy where where, uh, Moses gives this command to his people is so helpful for us. So, Okay, that's why we need Sabbath. And what exactly is Sabbath? Well, we've already said it's a day of rest, but it has some specific characteristics. When Moses gives this command in Deuteronomy 5, he says that the Sabbath day is supposed to be kept holy. That's a very interesting way of speaking. This would have rung weird in in these, uh, these people's ears because to them, only people or places were holy. You could have holy ground, like a holy mountain or the temple or something like this, and there could be holy people, whether they were a prophet or a priest, but the idea of a day being holy was absolutely foreign to them. What did that mean? Well, what it means is that for God, part of where you meet him, part of where you become holy, you come into proximity with him, is not only in a place or around a certain person, but during a time, on this day. And so what we could say is that What makes Sabbath Sabbath is, at first, worship. It's being with God. It's experiencing God. It's receiving the benefits of God. 
But when I think, when we hear worship, what I think we, we immediately think of is what we're doing right now. We're like, this is worship and everything else is not worship. That's just false. This is a small sliver of your worship life, brothers and sisters. The Bible is clear. Your whole life is an act of worship. The difference is who are you worshiping? Uh, when you're here, of course, you're listening to God and you're singing his praises and you're confessing your sins and receiving his forgiveness and receiving his body and blood in the Lord's Supper. That's worship of him for sure. But what happens when you go out the rest of your life? Is it worship of him or worship of the material world? What makes Sabbath Sabbath uniquely is that it is one day set aside, not just for worship, but for whole life worship. That everything that I do on this day would be oriented towards God. Now, that doesn't mean you need to put on the worship playlist and pray for the whole day or just read the Bible for 24 hours. Because worship of God is far broader than that. It's enjoying all the things that God gave you. All the things that bring your mind to him that make you say, thank you, Jesus, for this. I mean, think about this from God's perspective. God rests on the seventh day. Why does he rest on the seventh day? Because he needs to get his yard work done? (laughs) Because he's got a few errands he needs to run? No, because he's got this amazing thing that he created and these new people who he just created and he wants to enjoy those things. In the same way, God gives us this day to enjoy the things that we have. So what might that look like? Maybe it looks like playing a game with your kids, opening a bottle of wine on the back porch with your wife, staring at the clouds or the flowers or the changing leaves or the beautiful white snow, depending on the season. Maybe it's calling an old friend on the phone. Maybe it's eating a burrito at your favorite restaurant. Maybe it's a walk on the beach or a slow drive through the escarpment. Maybe it is reading your Bible or singing hymns or reading even fiction or poetry. Maybe it's taking a nap and not setting the alarm. Whatever it is, it's something that speaks to how God has blessed you. Not something that you're trying to achieve or gain for yourself or hold on to, but simply enjoying the fact that you exist, God made you, and God redeemed you. And you're free. It's a way to say, I don't have to. God has done all this, and I just get to enjoy it. As the psalmist wrote it, Psalm 73, it says, Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. Or as King David said it in that very famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or a new translation says, I lack nothing. That's Sabbath. To be able to sit down and say, there's nothing else I want. I have everything that I need. I lack absolutely nothing. I want for absolutely nothing in this moment. And yet how hard is that, right? If we were writing the psalm, if we were not King David... But just us, not inspired, we might write, the Lord is my shepherd and I need a whole bunch of other things to supplement that, right? But that's not a life lived in Christ. A life lived in Christ is being able to say, whatever that thing is, I don't need it. Earth has nothing I desire besides God. So Sabbath is first an act of whole life worship. But then secondly, it's an act of resistance. An act of resistance. Do you see this in the text? God starts by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery. And then later he continues that you should remember that you were slaves and therefore God has taken you, uh, has commanded you to to observe the Sabbath day. The context of of, uh, Moses saying these words, like I told you, is them about to go into the promised land. They've been wandering in the wilderness after being let out of Egypt in slavery. So now they're about to go into this place that they've been hoping for and dreaming for for generations And Moses says, when you get there, make sure you observe the Sabbath day because you used to be slaves. 
This generation that Moses was speaking to when he he penned these words the first time, uh, they were the first generation of Israelites in almost 500 years who were born into freedom. For over 400 years, God's people were enslaved in Egypt, and they were treated like chattel, subhuman, commodities to be traded, bought, and sold, beasts of burden just used until they dropped dead. They never got a day off. They never got to rest. They were slaves. And so what God says is, now you're not slaves. You're free. So take a Sabbath day. And you think that would have been easy for this generation that was born into freedom, right? They would have known daddy and granddaddy's stories about how terrible slavery was in Egypt. But you already know the end of the story. They, they don't observe the Sabbath days for 490 years. Why? Because human beings love to be enslaved. We love to be enslaved. We love to be enslaved because it, it's our nature. Ever since we fell into sin and, and Satan bought us with the lie that if we would do this, we could be like God, we've been buying that lie again and again. It's that same desire, that desire for the infinite, except it's not oriented towards God, it's oriented towards ourselves. That I could find in myself the infinite things that I desire. But the Sabbath day is an act of rebellion against that. It is the way to say, I don't have to. I am not a slave. I am free. That's what the Sabbath speaks to you. You're not a slave. You're free. You don't have to. So what might you be enslaved to? It's all too familiar to be enslaved, isn't it? When we realize that the slave master that many of us carry in our pocket will beep and we will immediately grab to see what it's telling us. I mean, how many of us can let the phone beep and just say, no, I don't have to. Or when we walk into the living room, doesn't the TV just beckon you? Just turn me on. You don't have to watch me. Just leave me on in the background. Or if you don't watch what's on, you might not know. Just a little bit more scrolling, right? That's what you need. That'll make you feel good. Just a little bit more food, just a little bit more drink, just a little bit more of whatever it is. You need this. And so quickly we say, you're right, I do. We're not a slave. We're not slaves to those things. We're free. You don't have to. And Sabbath is a chance to say that. Maybe if I can get really personal with us. Like we need to make this rebel yell right now. We need to. I think it's easy to listen to these things, all these statistics and and scripture that I'm giving you about how our life, naturally, the way that our world lives is contrary to God and hurting us and killing us from the inside out, making us slaves, subhuman, trading us and our attention like it's a commodity. And to say, yeah, well, that's just the world we live in. You're not a slave. You're free. Don't live like a slave. You don't have to. You have a master who is far greater, who has bought you not with a little bit of money from his excess, but with the price of his very own blood, not to make you his slave so that you would do his bidding all the time, but to free you to take a day off. That's who your Jesus is. That's what he's done for you. So live like he owns you. So we've talked about why to practice Sabbath. We talked about what Sabbath is. Now let's talk about how do we practice it? How do we make this happen? The first thing to note is that it's going to be a little difficult at first. The author to the Hebrews says it this way, says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, 
For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. There being the Israelites who spent 490 years not observing the Sabbath. He says, this is going to take effort. And he's right. This isn't just a day off, or as one author said it, uh, the, the bastard Sabbath. This isn't just a day off, because when you, when you take a day off, what do you do? You fill it with a whole bunch of other work. It's just a day off from your employment, but you run your errands, and you do your yard work, and you clean your house, and you make sure all these other things are done in your life. It's not rest. It's just rest from one part of your life. It's going to take effort. It's going to take effort, and, it, and it's going to challenge you. It's going to make you uncomfortable at first. Like I said, these spiritual disciplines aren't overnight fixes for our problems. They are trellises that we're building to allow the growth of God in us, the vine, to grow branches. This takes time, it takes effort, it takes pruning, and yet it's so worth it, and you know that, right? Long-term and short-term. So we make the effort. I thought Dan Allender has a great quote on this. Um, He says, Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it, to make it holy, because a day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. Look, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not going to say that I can exactly analyze what trauma looks like, but when I think of the experiences that I've had with people who've gone through sexual trauma, for example, they're not able to enjoy the sexual experience the same way. I wonder if we, in a sense, have been traumatized by this hurried world, so much so that we can't even enjoy rest anymore. It's going to take effort. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. But it's worth it. All right, let's get super practical then. Five ways how to Sabbath. What do you need to do in order to make this happen in your life? Number one, set aside a day. Pick a day. It's got to be a day where you know you can get completely off of everything that you are responsible for. Right? Obviously, you can't just ship your kids off, but for the things that really do give you slavery in life, those things that say, I'm not going to actually benefit you, I'm just going to give you this promise of benefit that's going to work for somebody else's good. Get rid of those things. Set aside a day for that. And then plan ahead. Like I said, this is going to take effort. Buy all the groceries that you need so you don't have to go out. You don't want to run errands on your Sabbath day. Right? Get everything ready so that you can just rest, so that you can do nothing. And then, when the day comes, turn off your phone and unplug your TV, because those things do not give you life. Like I've said numerous times, they're not bad for you in any sort of objective way, but they do not give life. I think the only excuse maybe you could make is you're going to video call a friend or a family member to, to enjoy their company for a little while, but even so, I would rather you make excuses to keep your phone off and your TV off rather than excuses to keep them on. Number four, actually do number three. I'm serious about this. Turn off your phone and unplug your TV. And I'm saying this because I think some of us need an intervention. I've heard this. I've talked to some of you about this. And you've said, like, it's hard for me to to put my phone to bed at 8 o'clock and not let it be the last thing that I see before I go to bed or, or not the first thing I wake up with in the morning. You know what that is? That's addiction. And we love you and we want to break addiction, but it's an addiction. You're a slave And it's not about just cutting back a little bit. Sometimes you got to go cold turkey on these things. I'm telling you this because I love you. And I'm telling you this because this is what I needed to hear. I've been practicing Sabbath, or at least trying to, for the last year or so since I first read this book. This is the hardest one for me. 
to actually turn my phone off. I make all sorts of excuses. I need Google Maps. I need podcasts. I need to call my dad. I need all these things. I don't have to. I'm free. And you can be too. And then finally, do whatever is life-giving. Do whatever is life-giving. Is that going to be just reading a book? Staring out the window? Talking to your kids? Taking a walk through the neighborhood? Making a huge chocolate chip cookie in a cast iron pan and then pouring an entire tub of ice cream on top of it and enjoying it with your family? What's it going to be? It's going to look different for every family, right? If you're, you're 60 and your kids are gone, it's going to look different than if you're 30 and your kids are two, three, four, five, six years old. It's going to look different if you're married versus if you're single. It's going to look different if your jobs are different. But, but massage this into your life. Figure out how this can bless you. Figure out how you can make this happen because the, the benefits are so great. If I can give you then one last encouragement on this. Whenever possible, try to combine Sabbath with silence and solitude. So last week we talked about silence and solitude. We said it's a moment every day that you're able to just shut out everything, the external noise, so you can deal with the internal noise of your own mind with your God and with the scripture. What if you could combine those two things? I'll tell you one way that I've tried to practice this. Again, it's still a work in progress. But it's trying to find a day, maybe once every month or so, that I can get away from everything, not just for 15 minutes or an hour on a day, but for most of the day. It's going to require effort. It's going to require planning ahead. It might require you taking some vacation time for your job, but isn't it worth it? You're not a slave. I'll tell you just for an example what I did the last time. Last time I did this, I drove up to Collingwood, no sound in my car, no radio, no phone, no podcast, no music, just me and God. And I sat by the lake, I looked out at the lake, I prayed about things that were big and things that were small, and I just sat there and enjoyed that God made this lake and it's beautiful. And I found myself a local establishment, ordered myself a stout, and read through the entire Gospel of Luke. Because thank you, Jesus, for all those things. You don't have to do that. Your life is different than mine. But do you see how this could look? Do you see how this could give life? You don't have to. But don't you kind of want to? Let's pray. Jesus, you gave us a gift in the Sabbath day. And just like you have said time and time again, we don't have to. We're free. We're not slaves to anything. And yet we look at this practice and see the benefit from it. And so I pray that whatever this looks like in our life, you would help us to find that time to Sabbath, to rest, to stop, to turn everything off and just enjoy being in your presence and in the presence of those things you've given us as gifts. Help us to enjoy this life to give a rebel yell to the world that says you constantly need more, to rest in the fact that you have done it all and nothing is left for us to do. In your name, amen.